Do you know the story of the boy who cried wolf? Uh, it's one of Aesop's fables. I'll try to summarize it fairly quickly. There's a boy who has who is tending his family's sheep, um, and he gets a little bored while he's sitting up by himself, and so he screams out to the town below, Wolf! Wolf! And everyone comes running because they're trying to protect him and the flock from this wolf, and they run to the top of the hill, and he just starts laughing. He thinks it's hilarious because there is no wolf. He's just having some fun with them. And the story goes that he does it a second time, cries wolf, and I believe he does it a third time even, and they... They come up, and the fourth time, there's actually a wolf. A wolf shows up and starts to attack his flock, and he says, Wolf, wolf, and the townspeople say, ah, He's pulling our leg again, and he, no one shows up to help him. And the, in the story, all the, the flock is, is destroyed by this wolf. And the moral of Aesop's fable is that, essentially, that if you, if you continue to lie, if you are an untruthful person, that even when you do tell the truth, no one believes you. That's a good lesson to learn, I think. And I think that the opposite is true. Would you agree? That if you are a trustworthy person, if you're someone who tells the truth, if you are a person of your word, that when you say you're going to do something, you follow through and you do it, then slowly people start to see you as that. They start to have confidence that if you say you're going to show up, if you say you're going to help, if you say you're going to pray for them, if you say that you're going to do different things, you actually do it, then they start to see you as trustworthy, and they put more trust in you. If that's true for people, then wouldn't it be true for God as well? That if God is trustworthy, if God is 100% trustworthy, then the more we understand that, the more we come to grips with the fact that God can be fully trusted, that he will do everything that he says, that he is a God of his word, then we will more and more fully put our trust in him. We will trust him more and more with our lives. I say that because I think the point of, of Genesis 21 is that God, God's fulfilled promises fuel faith. God's fulfilled promises fuel faith. So in other words, when God fulfills his promises, it, it enacts our faith. It causes us to trust him and to trust him even more. That our response is, is to trust him more because he has proved himself faithful. God's promises fuel faith. Let's go ahead and read Genesis chapter 1 as we think about that thought. We'll read Genesis chapter 21 and we'll read verses 1 through 21. And then we'll think on this together. Beginning in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a, was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, 
Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. What a very poignant passage of scripture. So many emotions that are packed in there. We recently um, sent out some birth announcements. This is the one that we sent out. We joyfully welcome into our hearts Jude Andrew Sabak. If you didn't get this, don't feel left out. None of you did. Uh, we figured that you knew when he was born and you've seen him around. So uh, we sent these out. And then on the inside we put uh, Jude 125, very appropriately, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thanking God for the gift of a son and a little brother, Andy, Andrea, Elaine, Lena, and Noel, born June 26, 8 pounds, 14 ounces, and 22 inches. And then on the back it says Jude the Dude. And he's sitting there in his, in his hammock. So these are the birth announcements that we sent out. Can you imagine the birth announcement that Abraham and Sarah would have sent out? I, I just was imagining. Maybe it would read something like this. Uh, we invite you to join in our laughter and joy as we welcome little Isaac to the world. Born, born the 17th of his Nissan. Is that one of the Hebrew... We'll, we'll pick that one, uh, 2066 B.C., which is actually fairly accurate, I think, uh, to Abraham and Sarah, 7 pounds, 12 ounces. That's not accurate. Um, and then maybe at the bottom it would say something like this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Apparently not, say this 90-year-old mother and 100-year-old father. <laughs> and that would be a fun birth announcement to get. Everyone was rejoicing with Abraham and Sarah. It was some 25 years ago. For us, it's back in chapter 12 that God had called Abraham out of the land that he knew into a land that he had never seen with the promise that he would have his own land, with the promise that he would be blessed and that he would be a blessing. And with this other promise that he just didn't fully think was going to happen, the promise of descendants, that he would be a father 
uh, children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, so much that they would number more than the seashore and more than the stars that he saw in the desert night sky. So where was this promise seed? Through these years, uh, Sarah and, and Abraham wondered, where, when is this when are these descendants going to start? We need at least one child if we're going to have a million. And there were times when they believed with all their hearts that God was going to do it, and there were times that they laughed in utter disbelief. We have seen both of them laughing. But then uh, later on in this year, they had watched Sarah's stomach grow larger and larger over the months, and they could shake their heads in disbelief as much as they wanted, but this was reality. Something was about to happen. Sarah was going to have a child. The promised seed was coming any day. If our main idea that we've said is that God, God's fulfilled promises fuel faith, that's, that's the idea, then these first two verses emphasize the fulfillment of God's promises, that God will fulfill his promises. They show us that God's word is true, that God does what he says he will do, that nothing is too hard for the Lord, and that God delights to do the impossible. The flavor of verses 1 and 2 to me is almost of, of God saying, I told you, I told you that Sarah was going to have a son, and I even told you when it was going to happen, not in a, in a snarky kind of snide way, but just I, I said it was going to happen. You can kind of see that, this repetition. If you look at verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And then verse 2, it goes on. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So God is a God of his word. He will do what he says. It may take 25 years. Uh, it may take a lifetime. It may be a promise that we never see the fulfillment of. But the timing of the promises doesn't matter. The impossibility of the promise doesn't matter. What matters is who gave the promise. And God gave the promise. And God does not cry wolf. When God says he's going to do something, he does what he says he will do. He is trustworthy. We can trust God 100% of the time to do what he says he will do. So we should not doubt his word, no matter how slow he seems should not doubt his word no matter how impossible the situation looks we should not doubt his heart his heart is full of love he is a father he's not distant even though sometimes he seems that way god fulfills his promises his word is sure and god's fulfilled promises fuel faith when this happens the response of abraham and sarah is radical faith we see their faith shown in different ways. I'll give you three that I think are in the text. Obedience, joy, and the removal of threats. We're going to talk about those three things, the response to this fulfilled promise. The first is obedience. When Isaac is born, Abraham's immediate response is one of obedience. Back in chapter 17, you remember, God comes to Abraham and he says, you're going to have a son. Abraham falls on his face and laughs. And so God says, fine, when you have that son, name him Isaac. And so here in the text, it shows that in, in verse 4, and Abraham's, um, I'm sorry, verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him. Emphasis there, Sarah bore this child, Isaac. 
called his name Isaac, laughter. He, he called the boy's name what God told him to. And, and God, in that same chapter, had said, every male that's born to you shall be circumcised on the eighth day. This is the covenant that I'm making with you. This is the sign of the covenant. And so Abraham obeys, verse 4, and Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. So Abraham responds to God's faithfulness to his promises. God's faithfulness to his promises ignite faith-filled, unhesitating obedience on the part of Abraham. He sees that God is trustworthy, and he follows after him. It's, it's true. This should be true for us, too. This should be our response, that as we see God staying true to his word, as we see him fulfilling his promises, blessing us, that we would respond to this kindness, to his trustworthiness, by obediently following his word. It's, it's natural. If we find someone we trust, someone that, that does what they say they will, um, our response is to trust them more fully and more consistently. You might think about uh, a doctor. If you have a doctor who listens to you, um, who, who has proven that they will do what they say they are going to do, if that happens, then, then when they give you counsel or when they say you should take this medication or you should do this, change this part of your lifestyle, then you listen. You obey. Why? Because you trust them, because they've proven themselves over time that they are worthy of your trust. So, too, when God shows us that he's trustworthy, we respond with obedience. Now, what Abraham is not doing here, just to emphasize, he is, he is not seeking to repay God for his kindness. Um, he doesn't see himself as a debtor to God because God's been so good to him, now he has to respond by trying to pay him back, that naming his son Isaac, uh, circumcising him as he was instructed. This is not Abraham trying to repay some sort of debt to God. Rather, as God blesses us, when we see, we see his faithfulness to us, we see his, his heart for us, his heart is one of, of love and of blessing. When, when he does that, we respond with obedience because we understand that following God's word, following what he wants us to do, is the place where we will be truly blessed, where we will find fullness of joy. So to obey God is to walk closely with him. And as we walk closely with him, we experience the fullness of his blessing and the joy that only he can give. So when we see God fulfill his word, when he shows the greatness of his power, of his, of his love to us, then we obey. We obey with the confidence that he is going to do what he says he's going to do, and we do it with the expectation that he is going to bless us as we trust him. I think that's why Abraham obeyed, because he says, wow, God is going to do what he says. I'm going to do what he asked me to do, so that he will continue to do what he says he is going to do. Again, it's, it's a different motivation. It's not him saying, I'm going to pay God back. It's rather Abraham saying, when I do what God asks me to do, when I am obedient, I receive the blessings and the favor and the kindness of God. Things just go better when I follow God's plan for me. I think the problem for us is that we often neglect to see all of the goodness in our lives as a blessing from God. We pray. I've had this happen so many times. We pray for something, and God answers that prayer. And it's not until two or three weeks later we say, oh, yeah, God answered that prayer. I prayed about this, and he responded. And so we don't see him as trustworthy sometimes. We sit down, and we, we pray before our meals, and we say, God, thank you for this food. But do we really believe that God is the provider? It's God who has given this to me. 
We miss opportunities to thank God for all the countless ways that he has protected us, that he has watched over us, that we don't even know. So we miss the ways that God is that, that God is fulfilling his word, that God is doing what he said he will do. And so we don't respond in obedience like we should very often. So again, God's fulfilled promises, they, they fuel obedience. They also fuel joy. Uh, Moses, the author of Genesis, reminds us of things that would be hard to forget. Verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. He wants to make sure that we know that, that Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. And they had this child. I mean, Sarah having a baby is about as likely as a virgin conceiving and having a baby, which draws the parallel very well. It's just as much of a miracle as Mary having a baby. Sarah having this child is a foreshadowing of what God is going to do through Mary, and it's just as much of a miracle. And how do you respond to a miracle when something amazing like that happens? Well, Sarah shows us. You laugh <laughs> and you laugh with with joy you laugh i think she's laughing like she's living in some sort of dream world where impossible things happen so she gives the name they give the the child the name that's more than appropriate isaac which means laughter isaac's name before was was a reminder of a, kind of a sting of rebuke that they had laughed when God said he was going to do something. But I think that that always would be there. But at the same time, now there's this, there's this new meaning. There's this reminder of the joy that God had given by fulfilling his promises. God had taken all the pain. Think about all those years for Sarah waiting, waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And God takes all those years, the, the tears of sorrow, the tears of anger and frustration, of dismay, they are now replaced by tears of uncontrolled, joy-filled laughter. Can you see Sarah laughing, this 90-year-old woman holding a baby, just uncontrollably laughing, tears of joy streaming down her face? I think there are moments in life when God steps into impossible situations, when he accomplishes his purpose and his will. And if we have eyes to see those in our lives, then the response very often is is sheer joy, is is laughter at the miraculous things that God has done. And if again, if we have eyes to see, he, he does these things all the time, that he steps into situations and he proves his word, he proves that he is faithful, and we laugh. Of course, I think we should also recognize there are times when laughter is probably the last thing that's on our mind. We may be still stuck in the stinging laughter of chapters 17 and 18, the laughter that says, yeah, God can do anything, but I sure don't think he's going to do it for me. And when we're there, the story of Sarah reminds us that, that this joyful laughter, sometimes it takes years. We live in a culture that, again, is just this immediate gratification, that when I want something, I get it right away. Sometimes with God, he... he he doesn't give it right away. It may be that God is going to bring us to a place of, of despair, to a place of saying, I don't know if this is actually going to happen, so that when he does it, we know it's him. And so that when he does it, we truly laugh at the miracle that it is. 
So we need to be patient like Sarah was. And if nothing else, we need to recognize that there will be times where we laugh in this life, where we see God do something amazing and we laugh. But that true joy comes when we are with our Father forever, when we see that how he has worked everything for our good and for his glory. We have the hope of joy now, yes, but we have a, a more sure hope of laughter later throughout all eternity when God will wipe every tear from our eyes. We get the foretaste now, but there is something greater coming. So we must look for God's good heart towards us, his fulfilled promises in everyday life. But in this broken world, we also have to look to the day when he will come and everything will be made right. That what we see in part now, we will see in full and we will laugh then. If you think about laughing in heaven, I think there will be plenty of it. It will be pure laughter. It won't be laughter at the expense of someone else. It will be a laughter that overflows out of everything that God has done. The fact that he has done everything that he said he would, it will be a, a tear-inducing laughter of amazement at all that God has done. And again, we taste that laughter now. But if you can imagine, I think that the laughter that we have now when God does things is, is almost like like a chuckle. Like a, like a giggle of sorts compared to the belly laughs of eternity when we really see what God has done. God's fulfilled promises bring obedience, they bring joy, and they bring the removal of threats. The removal of threats. This is the difficult part of this passage. You know, there's only seven verses given here to the birth of Isaac. It almost feels anticlimactic, doesn't it? When I read verse 1, it's like you just drop right in the middle of the story. Well, Isaac was born. I think there's a, a part to that, that that's, that's saying God did what he said he was going to do. We should have expected that. We should not be totally surprised. But in the moment of, of joy, we just want to we want to soak this in. And then all of a sudden we have this story about Ishmael and, and Hagar and Sarah and, and all the issues there. The removal of threats. It's not long after the birth announcement. We might say maybe two Three years um, between verses 7 and 8, and all of Abraham's family and friends are invited to a celebration in honor of Isaac being weaned. And in the midst of this celebration, everything is, is going well, but something becomes very clear to Sarah. The fulfillment of the promise through Isaac's birth has caused her now to look at Ishmael uh, through different eyes. Her heart had laughed and disbelief at God. Her heart now had laughed with joy. And she looks out at Ishmael, and he is laughing. Verse 9 says, But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. That theme of laughter. But this is not the same kind of laughter. It's a different word. It's, it's more of a mocking laughter. Paul translates it as persecuted. That... Um, that uh, that the son of Hagar was persecuting uh, Isaac. It could be simple childhood mockery. We're not really sure what was going on. But what happened is that Sarah suddenly sees Ishmael as a threat to her son, as a threat to her son's position as the heir of Abraham. So the tension of chapter 16, you remember when, they, when Sarah had been so mean enough to Hagar that she fled, that tension is is still there. And she goes, Sarah goes to Abraham and says, you need to send Hagar 
and her son away. Interesting to note, the name Ishmael does not occur uh, in this passage at all. He's always referred to as the boy, the lad, or the son of, of Hagar. In many ways, what's going on is there's a shift happening. Isaac's name is mentioned six times, but Ishmael is not mentioned once. The shift is happening. Isaac is, is taking over here. Now, so Sarah comes and says, cast out Hagar and cast out her son. The last time that Sarah gave advice to Abraham about what to do with Hagar was when she said that he needed to have a son by her. And that didn't turn out real well, right? And so we, we were immediately wondering, is this what Abraham should do? And Abraham is distressed. Uh, at the very least, Ishmael is his son. Um, and Hagar has been with them for most of their journey. So we're talking 25 plus years that Hagar has been a part of their family. And he's distressed. He doesn't know what to do. He's probably relieved when God shows up and tells him what to do. God says, do this. It says, verse 12, but God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy, referring to Ishmael, and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And so in this very poignant scene in verse 14, we see Abraham rising early in the morning almost a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in chapter 22, if you remember that. Abraham rises early in the morning, takes bread, a skin of water, and gives it to Hagar, puts it on her shoulder, sends the child with her, and he sends her away. She heads off into the wilderness of Beersheba. Seems very strange to us, doesn't it? Sarah seems so harsh. And, and God goes along with this plan. I, mean, we have, I have sympathy for Abraham. I have sympathy for Hagar and for, for Ishmael. I, I, I just struggle. What, what's going on here? Why is this deemed right by God? Why is this what should happen? Well, God gives two reasons for why he says that this is going to happen. And the first is the same as Sarah's reasoning. Sarah says, the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And God says, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. It's because Isaac is the heir, not Ishmael. Isaac is the son of promise, not Ishmael. And Ishmael's presence poses a threat to Isaac. We might think of a story later in Isaac's life. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. The rightful heir is Esau. And Esau gets his birthright and his position as the heir stolen by Jacob. Now, Sarah didn't have that story to learn from, but it's almost as if she sees something similar happening between Isaac and Ishmael, that there's going to be this, this tension. And she says, no, Isaac, my son, is the heir. Ishmael is not, and we need to get him out of here so he doesn't pose a threat to what to the promise that's been made. Uh, this makes sense. To see Ishmael as a sense makes sense, or as a threat makes sense, if we draw some parallels. You remember we said Genesis chapter 12, Abraham goes to Pharaoh and lies about his wife, says, she is my sister. And then in Genesis chapter 20, we saw the same thing happen, right, with Abimelech. So there's a parallel there. Right after that, after these two stories, we have Lot, the, the, the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot have a dispute. And Lot ends up leaving the land. Now, the, the problem there, the issue, if you remember, with Lot is that Lot posed a threat to Abraham's inheritance on the land. 
And so God takes him out of the picture, takes him out of the promised land. That's the first part of the promise. Ishmael here poses a threat to the second key component of the promise, the seed, that, that there will be an heir. And so this threat now has to be removed in the same way that Lot was removed to make sure that the promise of the inheritance of the land is fulfilled. Ishmael is a threat to Isaac being the heir, and he is taken out of the picture. So there's those parallels in those passages. And actually, if we if we were to go on, we just don't have time to look at 22 through 34, but there's another parallel because you remember in chapter 14 is where Abraham goes and, and delivers Lot and then has this council with the kings of the land. And here again, he's going to have a council at the end of chapter 21 with, with Abimelech. So these, these stories are parallel in many ways. So the issue is a threat that there there is a threat to the promise seed. This makes sense, in fact, in all of Scripture, because it's it's a theme, the threat to the seed, the threat to the promise, the possible extinction of Israel. Israel is always seems to be on the verge of being wiped off the map. We can think about this at the end of Genesis, the famine comes, and and Jacob's sons are about to be wiped off the earth, and what happens? They go to Egypt and they meet Joseph and they're rescued. They, they land in Egypt, and they're slaves. And God sends Moses and rescues them. We think about all their time in the desert where they're surviving, and they're getting water for rocks, and, and food's falling out of heaven. They're surviving. All these threats are coming against them, and God is preserving them. God is keeping them. One of the great examples would be um, in the book of Esther, where the Jews are going to be wiped out by Haman. The, the line will be taken care of, and God steps in and protects him. The the seed is always on the verge of destruction from threats that are all around. And the seed is important because, remember, Genesis 3.15, God says the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. This is my plan. This is the way that I'm going to provide deliverance. And it's got to come from Abraham to Isaac. There can be no threat to Isaac. This deliverer is coming through his line. So we look at through all the Old Testament, all these threats, and God continues to preserve his promise to preserve his seed all the way through. And then you open up your Bible to Matthew and you read this genealogy and you see how God preserved this seed all the way through until Jesus is born. Jesus is the greater Isaac. Jesus is the one, the promised seed that we are waiting for. He is the true deliverer. How amazing then to think about the life story of Jesus. If, if the Old Testament scriptures is about the preservation of the seed, making sure that Israel isn't wiped off the face of the mask, making, making sure that, that the seed is preserved, then suddenly Jesus shows up on the scene and he's arrested. And then he's tried and he's sentenced to death and he is crucified. How amazing is that? That that the seed is preserved through all of these trials, all of the threats that are coming on the seed, and then you get to the time of Jesus, and, and the Messiah has come. The, the time has been fulfilled. The seed has shown up. And the threat, the threats come, and the seed is destroyed. How ironic is that? And yet the amazing thing is that, as Genesis 3.15 says, that that's just a bruise on his heel, that that is the means through which he is crushing the head of the serpent. And the threats are there, but they come and they, they crush him, but they do not they, they do not destroy him completely. And it's through that death that Jesus accomplishes salvation, that Jesus fulfills all the promises that were made to Abraham. The threats all came. Jesus 
the seed was preserved, and Jesus came so that he could give us new life. Anyways, that's just something, a divergence there. But, but God agrees with Sarah to send Hagar and Ishmael away. Why? Because Ishmael is a threat to Isaac. He's a threat to this true heir to the seed. That's the first reason. The other reason that God gives is the reason he's going to give to Hagar a little bit later. And he assures Abraham that, as he has continued to assure him, that Ishmael is going to be blessed because he is of the seed of Abraham. You see that um, in verse 13, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So God says, you can send him away. You can send Ishmael away, your son away, because I will make him a great nation. I will preserve him. I will watch over him. I will protect him. I will bless him, because I have told you that I will bless those that are from you, and I will fulfill that promise. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But how do you apply this? section of scripture it's amazing because it's used twice by paul paul refers to this in romans 9 and the passages that we read in galatians 4 uh, we saw that allegory there i'm tempted to try to summarize them but they're such difficult passages that I, I almost don't want to for the sake of over simplifying them uh, the issue that he's drawing is that there are there are these the the jews and the gentiles there's this this strife between them and some are saying, we're descended from Abraham, and these guys are not, and so we are the children of promise, and they are not. And Paul keeps coming in and saying, no, that's not what matters. What matters is you're children of Abraham by faith, not by physical descendancy. He says, not all children of Abraham are truly children of Abraham. Only those that are of faith are children of Abraham. And so, and then he gets into the issue of, of election. He even uses this passage that Isaac was chosen, Ishmael was not. Why? We do not know. But Isaac was the promised seed. God chose Isaac to be the one through whom the line would come, not Ishmael. Those are some different applications. I encourage you to look at Romans 9 and Galatians 4 and hash that out. I, I just don't have time to do it. But I want to give you another application that I think that is here. When we think about God fulfilling promises and we respond with faith, one of the ways that we respond is the removal of threats. The removal of things that will keep, that are threats to God's blessings, to God's plans. Ishmael had lived with the family for probably, we could say, 13 to 16 years he had been with them. And Sarah had never seen a reason to throw him out. But suddenly when the promise is fulfilled, when she sees what God is doing, she says, he's a threat and he has to leave. I don't know Sarah's heart in this, if it was pure or not. But I think that threat to the seed is there, and, and I think that the application that we might draw, and I encourage you, think with this with me on this. If you think this is a bad application, come and tell me. But I think that what he what we can learn is that when God gives us blessings, we see that this is what he wants us to do. And then suddenly things in our lives become a threat to that. We see a threat to God fulfilling his promise, to God fulfilling his word, and we say, we've got to get rid of that. I, I want God to do what he wants to do in my life, and suddenly things that maybe were neutral before, that caused no issue in our lives, they, they are seen as a threat. And we say, I want to get rid of that because I want to follow the plans and the blessings of God in my life. Uh, I remember when I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, Founders Week happened every year, and Founders Week was my favorite time uh, because I, I just always learned so much. And I can remember my first Founders Week there that as I was there and as the, the teaching, God, God blessed that time. I, I learned so 
much and less than just in classes and more just understanding who I was in Christ. And I remember going back to my room and talking to my roommate and and just saying, there's so many things that, that weren't bothering me before, but they, I just see them as threats now. And I, I don't want them in my life because I want to follow what God has for me. I, I want to follow this path. Another illustration I think of is a, a member of the church that um, I was at before. And he was an older gentleman. He had been very successful in business, became a believer and was walking with the Lord. And he said that at a certain point in his life, uh, he, he was a pilot. He could fly and he, he owned just a little plane. And he said he, he loved to fly that plane. But he realized that it was something that was competing for God's first place in his life. And he said, I, it just bothered me. And, and it was never a threat before, but suddenly it became one. And he sold the plane. Uh, he took the money and bought a computer flight simulator and a little joystick. He said every once in a while he'd fly with that. But he saw that plane, which which was neutral. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. But it became a threat to him following God fully. I feel like that's in part what is going on here, that God is, is getting rid of these things so that, that we could walk more, that, that Sarah and Abraham would be walking in the way of blessing the way that God has called them to. So there's the removal of threats that's going on here. Even more so, there's the removal of safety nets here. God is preparing Abraham for his biggest test, which is Genesis 22, where he tells him to sacrifice Isaac. If Ishmael is in the picture when God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac. If Ishmael is still there, suddenly Abraham has a safety net. Well, if I kill Isaac, at least I've still got Ishmael. But God says, no, God sends Ishmael away so that Abraham has nothing else to hold on to when that moment comes. God's fulfilled promises fuel faith, cause us to respond with obedience, with joy, with the removal of of threats. Just briefly then, we see this episode with Hagar and Ishmael. The text doesn't leave us wondering what happens to them um, after they left Abraham and Sarah. The situation becomes one of life and death very quickly. Uh, Ishmael had posed a threat to the promise of Isaac being the heir, and now the desert climate is posing a threat to Ishmael being the father of a great nation. Remember, they were sent out with this skin of water, and suddenly the skin of water is dry. This heart-wrenching scene, Hagar takes her son. This is all she has left. She's been cast out. She takes her son and places him under a bush and goes a distance off and sits down and weeps because she doesn't want to watch her son die. I mean, that's how dire this situation has gotten. And yet, as we're reading this, as bad as it looks, we know something. We know that Hagar has been in this place before. You remember, Hagar had had been cast out. She was in the desert, and God saw her. God heard her. We think about even Ishmael's name, which means God hears. As bad as it seems, we still feel this, this hope. And it says here, very interesting, it says in verse 17, God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. One of the most repeated commands in Scripture. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then her eyes are opened. She sees this stream. 
She gives the water to the boy, and it tells us that he grows up, lives in the wilderness, becomes an expert with the bow, takes a wife from Egypt, his mother's home country, and God fulfills his promise. God hears his cries. The emphasis here, again, is on God fulfilling his word, that the threat comes in to Ishmael's life, and God delivers him. God hears his voice, and God rescues him and fulfills his word. He says, I will make you a great nation, and God says, I will do what I said I will do. God fulfills his promises to Ishmael and to Hagar. Very interesting to see this. This is the last time that we'll see um, Hagar and Ishmael. But you see God's heart for them um, and how God's promises bless others. How They are connected to Abraham, and so they are blessed. So God's fulfilled promises fuel faith. We can trust what God says he will do. That, that we can be 100% sure of the time that God is not crying wolf. If he says he will do something, he will do what he says he will do. And when he does, we will respond with faith. We will respond with a faith that obeys unhesitatingly. We will do what God says to do because we want to walk in the path that he has laid out for us. We will laugh with joy. We will laugh now and we will laugh for all eternity at all that God has done, the promises that he has fulfilled. And when we see him fulfilling promises in our life, we say, I want to get any other threat out of the way so that God would continue to do what he says he will do. I don't want anything that would hinder what God does. And so as we take our moment of silence here, I think that's one area that maybe we would pray. I could give you a list for of things that, that maybe are a threat um, in your life, but you know what they are. And maybe if you don't even right now, just pray that God would reveal them to you. That if there's something that's, that's hindering you from walking fully committed to God, if there's something that's hindering God's blessing in your life, that he would reveal that to you so that you can remove that threat as hard as it may be, as hard as it was for Abraham, that it may be something that needs to be taken out so that you can more fully walk in the path God has placed. So let's take our moment of silence and reflect on, on God's word. I'll pray and we will sing and close. <clears throat>